Hi guys, so welcome to the Physio Plus Fitness Podcast with me, Chris Lendrum, and Glenn, our usual co-hosts. Um, today's episode, we've got um, a really fantastic clinician um, on the, the call with us, um, Rob Mast, who's an advanced practice physio and works both in the NHS and privately and also does lots of lecturing and, and tutoring. Um, and he's got a specialist area of knowledge in both ultrasound, MSK ultrasound, and also injection therapy, which is the topic of our podcast today. So we're going to talk mainly around injection therapy. We might touch a little bit on ultrasound as well, um, although we were just saying off air that actually that if you go in too much into these topics, we could be talking forever. So we'll try and keep it at injection therapy today with a little bit of ultrasound, obviously, because it's relevant. And then we'll go into the ultrasound maybe on another podcast. But first of all, Rob, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And then the, for my first question really I had for you was kind of what got you interested in ultrasound therapy or, or uh, injection therapy rather in ultrasound? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, uh, it, I would say that it, it was an extension of what I was already doing as a physio. So basically, um, okay, so we have to go back a couple of years. So um, I was working as a senior physio in an NHS uh, uh, department. And, um, you know, I'd seen a couple of people in my department, one who was an extended scope physio. And, I, you know, I just thought it was quite interesting. She worked with the rheumatologist. She did injections and requested investigations and stuff. So I, I kind of appealed to me, but I, I didn't have huge amounts of experience. But then there were a couple of opportunities came up. One of my colleagues who did that, that kind of work went on holiday or went to the Olympics or something and I filled some gaps and stuff. And then I kind of was, became more and more interested. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's an adjunct, isn't it? So I wasn't sort of interested in injection therapy per se. I was interested in advanced practice as in, yeah, you know, doing the whole workup, like, um, and, and, and having access to various imaging modalities. And then with that became, came therapeutic options as well and then and then then obviously this was available this was out there so um eventually i did a landmark guided course um early 2000s that was and um yeah then um my i then started in the job that i'm still in now actually uh, uh, at st leonard's hospital for uh, working for the homerton uh Homerton Healthcare, uh, and and there they were setting up a sort of single point of entry. It was a kind of novel thing where you know you have GPs referring into one central pool, which is within the physio department. The physio directs it, like you know, paper based uh, to like different, uh, you know, like uh, secondary care keeps it in, in 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 for physio or or sends it to exendoscope uh, and i was the first person in my surface to do that because i said as soon as i came well i've done a bit of this work esp work i quite like that and my manager said well if the you know if the opportunity comes up then maybe we create that role and that's happened then and yeah the rest is history i've been doing that for many years now and the service has massively expanded we have a lot of people doing all sorts of things now including uh, as you all already talked about ultrasound although we I, I, I promise not to talk too much about that. <laughs> and, and obviously injections is a big part of the kind of, you know, in MSK conditions, as we know, like uh, if, you, if you're looking to, if physio fails or like, um, you know, pain levels are such that, that physio is difficult, then yeah, early on 
oftentimes people then are thought of as suitable for the services I provide. So then I get involved, basically. Mm. And and for physios that are maybe looking at advanced level practice, for example, as you say, they're a bit more interested in, okay, I've been a physio for a few years, I've got like that grounding and I want to go into more of that work up, the advanced level stuff. What what's the routes? You know, what route would you advise? Did you do? Because obviously, there's people do masters, and then but then there's yeah. other people that might do. You know, you I know you can do injection courses as a standalone. Yeah. You can do yeah. ultrasound as a standalone. So, yeah. have you got any thoughts on like the best yeah. way to get into that stuff? Well, to be honest, I <laughs> at the time there weren't that many sort of comprehensive, encompassing sort of advanced practice modules that kind of led to that. That, that just didn't exist. It was like, well, you know, you had some 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 random people in sort of well-known people probably in certain bits of the country that were doing this. And they were sort of the sort of lead people in the area. And they quite often had learned their stuff from uh, friendly orthopedic specialists or rheumatologists and stuff. So there wasn't this whole thing about, you know, like, um, uh, like, like, like custom made sort of um, 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 training. But I think that then changed and, um, you know, more and more specific courses came on, 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 you know, along. And I think nowadays I would say it might well be very different. I didn't do what you just said, like a specific, like one course to, you know, like master's accredited course, because I just basically did a lot of master's modules and then like accumulated all the skills that sort of, deemed me to be competent in what I did and that seemed to be the best way because as I said if if I, I'd had a kind of university that wasn't too far and that sort of like gave me a whole range of options including injection therapy including sort of maybe advanced other skills or other imaging modules all in one package then maybe that is a great thing um mm. yeah I mean I have to say like a lot of the advanced practice people that I work with now sort of younger generation a lot of them are people that are extremely well highly skilled probably a lot more so than where i was when i first started and maybe that is because the training has become better and um, now that i'm also involved in postgraduate training hopefully that means that you know we can also contribute to that same sort of process like training people early on yeah I wonder as well, just going slightly off topic, which I'll, I'll try yeah. not to do too much, but I wonder as well if it's just the dissemination of knowledge these days as well in terms of like yeah. social media, in terms of access to knowledge yeah. is so much easier now. Absolutely. There's lots of video content. Obviously, yeah. we, we have a, a video YouTube channel that we do lots yeah. of content on and I think there's so much more knowledge out there readily available for people that want to find it for for free or for you know or for a cost that's not that high um that actually maybe the skills yeah. are a bit bit higher now than they used to be i don't know oh yeah t totally i i think this exactly the same i mean you know even like um you know um 10 years ago or so on, on topics such as ultrasound for example because that is a tricky topic imaging is very important and you know at that time you you were struggling to find any good books on it and now you've got like people having whole like you know 3d kind of animation uh, and amazing sort of uh, channels where they constantly sort of educate people with uh, all different levels of of of, of uh, practice and so so that all exists and it's and like you said it's not just content it's actually a lot of it is fairly good quality content that's kind of affordable oftentimes as well 
so mm. yeah no it's all good in that sense i think cool so yeah so i think what i wanted to sort of home in on today was yeah. as i say more the injection stuff but we will talk about ultrasound because i want to talk about it later with regards to things like ultrasound guided injections versus non and that maybe leads us into that topic of ultrasound but i guess the first thing in terms of injection therapy what's your view rob on sort of what makes a good candidate as if you know if a physio's got patients in front of them or just in general what should physios be thinking about in terms of a good candidate for for injection therapy um so yeah good candidates are people with generally with a peripheral condition i would say that is that is one of the things i mean you know if we're kind of talking about physiotherapists doing this although there are some exceptions i think there's some very you know like the cup the handful of people that work in in a kind of spinal unit where they do spinal injections it's usually more kind of slightly more medical setting so let's say point of care then that is the only kind of condition that we could potentially inject so first of all they have a peripheral condition and to me, I mean, it sounds like me, maybe very basic. Uh, it has to be, you know, clinically reproducible what we're trying to like get at. Um, and you know, if it's backed up by imaging, and hopefully, uh, if we use ultrasound, for example, we can there and then also check to see if there's anything, you know, like bursitis or a tendinopathy and stuff. Then that that can confirm it. But it's not really necessarily always nece necessary to kind of identify uh, good patients. A lot of my colleagues who don't do ultrasound, they nine out of 10 times come to the same sort of conclusions as I do as well. Now, sometimes it, it is obviously, it, it can be different, but I, I would say your your clinical, clinical acumen and your ability to kind of make sure that you, you know, pinpoint the MSK condition very specific, that is usually the key thing, you know, like, what you don't want is people just um you know having fairly generalized symptoms um or like uh, you know refer pain kind of symptoms that can be quite intense and stuff and they're very very effective so these people tend to present quite often in clinics and if they sneak through the channels and somehow end up in your clinic then you have to obviously be you know like uh, pull that back again but you know i think any kind of um fairly decent clinician would be able to pick that up and then you know backing it up with with a scan that would be great um the other thing is of course um people who've had all the have gone through the right channels they've had physio they've seen physio a number of times uh, been um you know fully uh, sold on the idea of physio and, and tried it didn't work or like did did maybe work but didn't still they have symptoms I think sometimes that would be a reasonable indication to say, okay, they have tried, but you know, plateauing, whatever. Um, have a look with it, with uh, you know, diagnostics and maybe uh, consider injection. And of of course, you know, they. I mean, that's a, that's an obvious thing, but they have to be suitable, as in like uh, medically suitable. So there couldn't be any contraindications, and we can talk about that later. Um, and, and the other thing is, I would say as well, in my practice, um, good response to previous injections. Um, that sounds obvious, but, you know, I quite often ask in, earlier on, I said, so so have you had any of this before? And if people then say, oh, yeah, I've had like four, like, I don't know, I've had one or two. Uh, and I said, so how was it? 
and they say oh well you know it didn't really work uh you know like lasted for a week or so and then then you know I, then i got another one and it lasted for a month or so 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 really these are people that are not that are failing really with 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 steroid um, steroid injections for example in this case and then you could say, then dig a bit further and say how were these injections administered and if you said if they're saying well actually they were you know like landmark by the landmark guided and you know not saying anything negative about the gp but it was like a gp and he just like he's he, you know he asked me where it hurt and he sort of like roughly put in that that gives you an idea of 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 the workup and 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 what might have happened and it is of course possible that for that reason it didn't work so then you know then that's in my head then and then i make a decision as to whether i would say or we'll give it another try or we kind of you know offhand say well you know let's just investigate this further or let's try other or explore other options again and stuff but um yeah th those and, and and of course if there's no other options like sort of people like uh end state oa with multiple comorbidities who can't they have anything done and they're in terrible pain they have terrible mobility we know that they've already got a lot of damage so you know in some of these people even if if they go a bit beyond what we would normally recommend it's a safe sort of option then you know if the medics agree on that then i think that's also okay sometimes mm. but yeah that's that's basically uh, the, sort of the, the kind of groups that i would see could benefit from from injections yes. yeah and i think it might help actually to kind of talk about the different types of injections because i think obviously it's hard yeah. to say what patient is going to benefit because injection therapy obviously isn't just the same injection all the time no. so what yeah, what exactly. are the common what are the common obviously you know people people know um, and most physios will yeah. know and and obviously you know layman's people yeah. who aren't in the medical will know steroid injections but what are the different types of injections that you would perform as a as a advanced physio yeah so so the different types of injections that i perform uh, and it's different for different people um but um you know the common ones obviously steroids then after that you have uh, something that's also commonly done is called hydrodistension which is like a steroid injection but then with a bigger volume and that's usually done to uh mobilize stiff areas such as frozen shoulders or sometimes actually to disrupt like uh, neo-vessels such as in uh, Achilles tendinopathy as patella tendinopathy and then they call it stripping so you strip away the kind of um, the the, the uh, fat pad that that connects to the tendon and you strip away that neo-vessel so that, that's 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 hydro extension and then um, we've got something called barbotage which is um, a quite uh, an interesting novel uh, novel uh, it's been around for ages but you know it's not something that's done very frequently by everyone uh, it's it's a bit more aggressive it's basically uh, penetrating a calcific deposit with a needle injecting volume of fluid to irrigate the deposit and then therefore re reduce that or completely get rid of it uh, and that's another thing that i do um hyaluronic acid uh Visco supplementation just to uh, lubricate the joint. So it's more for the mechanical properties, not so much for anti-inflammatory properties because there aren't really any with that. And that's something that you then also need to consider because, of course, a lot of the time people have injections not just for stiffness, 
but also for levels of pain and then you come into the decision making uh, around which which one would be most appropriate but those are the and and then there's another group of injections that is like uh, plasma rich protein prp injections um that's something that i'm actually going to do fairly soon uh, i'm going to train in that um yeah basically it's um yeah using people's blood that has been enriched um with plasma enriched to like increase growth factors to stimulate healing it sounds really nice and i think a lot of people like, like the idea because it doesn't involve any drugs um but you know uh, again you have to also look at the evidence and stuff and you know um there's still a little bit of juries out on it but uh i think it's a nice option if people feel that they want to spend money on it because it's more expensive and they feel that they have either already had their fill of injections with steroid injections or, or they just don't want to go there at all so it's an option i would say but i think yeah steroids are probably by and large still the catch-all sort of treatment for a lot of msk problems really yeah i think um yeah in my head i would say i always think of barbitage for basically for calcific tendonitis or for yeah. calcific, calcific, yeah. say, calcium deposits hyaluronic acid obviously in, in generally in oa type patients and yeah. then obviously your um hydro distension typically for frozen shoulders or, or that's what yeah. i sort of see it as a treatment wise in terms of steroids obviously steroid injections are used for various different things what um so one question i get asked a lot and i, I don't know the answer to this is physi physiologically what are steroid injections doing like patients ask me all the time like what does a steroid injection actually or what's it going to do um yeah 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 and i no, sort that's, of give that's... a give an answer that i try and yeah. sort of clinically reason through but i don't actually know the complete answer to that so yeah what no is it's it's well steroids are quite complex uh medications in terms of the effects that it ha has on the body is very fairly complex so um it it triggers some sort of anti-inflammatory and immunosuppressive cascade yeah um and so they act on um steroid receptors and they in interrupt the inflammatory immune like uh system basically and, and with that and and as a result of that the direct result of that the uh vascular permeability so you know blood flow to structures etc uh, and it inhibits accumulation of inflammatory cells so um, and it inhibits production of neutrophils and and all sorts of so all these components are going to be inhibited so it basically it actually kind of if you if you think about it sort of in layman's terms it sort of blocks collagen synthesis basically and um you know that's if if that's sort of and 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 in an inflammatory phase you get all these factors to repair to repair but they obviously are in a sort of slightly um over active state to cause a lot of pain a lot of uh you know uh, functional uh impact and 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 steroids really kind of block that process which hence why there are sort of obviously risks attached to it as well but um is that immunosuppressive effect it's not a painkiller as such and this is like what some people kind of sometimes forget when they compare it with other pain relieving medications that this is actually not like that it is actually it works on the 
it, it suppresses your immune system to deal with the uh, inflammatory factors and downregulate that, and that's how it sort of achieves it. So it's quite effective in the sense that it kind of in, interferes directly in the inflammatory process, rather than does much. It doesn't do much for the for the pain as as such. As in, pain is a secondary benefit from not having the inflammation. I was going, I was going to ask Rob as well in terms of um, different tissue types. So, um, if someone's got a arthrogenic pain and OA type mm. pain versus someone with a, a yeah. tendon type pain yeah. i mean over the years i've tended to um delay and even often avoid uh, referring on for steroids for tendons as opposed to joint pain i'm much quicker to to do that yeah. it'd be great to get your input on that and you mentioned um you know um interrupting collagen synthesis so that could have a input potentially yeah. on, on the tendon health well and... well this is this is absolutely true and i think that's one of the things that uh, if you if you're well i'm sure you, we're all aware now, but they weren't always aware because, like, you know, it's not that long ago that, I don't know, in the 50s and 60s or something, that people were still having regular steroid injections to get onto football pitch so they could play kind of football. And I have seen some of those patients, actually, some years ago, who then came to me with completely collapsed, uh, sort of, uh, like, uh, fractured uh, tailors and, 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 you know, like, like, like ankles and knees and stuff like that because they had multiple steroid injections and at that time they were just not aware that it could sort of cause these significant uh, impact on 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 structure but yeah i would say you're you're right um you yeah so you're you're asking uh, joint versus versus tendon i mean you know there are some studies uh um uh, a little while ago, there was a study where they looked in uh, for osteoarthritis in the knee, and then they found that there might be some acceleration of the actual loss of cartilage if you inject knees, and that was, I think, repeat injections, really. Um, so it isn't sort of necessarily like, um, you know, like completely without harm in joints, but I, uh, in load-bearing tendons, for example, we do know that there are very serious risks attached to steroid injection. So I don't think that many of us, and certainly I don't, inject directly. Well, A, if you do ultrasound guidance, yeah, and I have to mention it therefore again, if you do ultrasound guided injections, you will tend to avoid tendons i would say you don't because you can avoid them and there is no good reason then to inject them if you can inject right next to them if that was if you wanted to affect that tendon you could still do that so i think for me to um to to inject adjacent to a tendon would be acceptable in some cases yeah so for example Let's say we have a tendinopathy that's very persistent, but the collagen is still reasonably good and we haven't got any partial thickness tears and stuff. I think it's perfectly fine to kind of consider a peritendinous injection. Um, but, you know, uh, again, that would you would do that one as a one-off um, with, the, then with the loading program and hopefully physio sorts it out. It's means to an end. It's never the end in itself. Now, if you start injecting, people with load-bearing tendons, then oh, then you, you're, you're all of a sudden your risk starts multiplying. I mean, I'm honest, and uh, I've done thousands of injections, yeah, and I've had a couple of ruptures. One was a plantar fascia, 
and one was a uh, that was a but that was a, in a hand actually a, a, but it was a, a, a tendon that in retrospect it was probably uh, sort of um, tendinopathic because of wear and tear etc but you know so definitely the plantar fascia was probably something to do with the injection uh and it was like i think the guy forgot that he had it done and he ran through the bus and he just popped basically um he wasn't actually he wasn't that as painful as i expected but it was yeah it's an issue and it's it's something you would always want to avoid but um you know that's why we don't do it generally speaking i would say um i plantar fascia yeah we do but it's a risk benefit analysis then so you say well don't do any high impact activities for at least four weeks. And we know that the steroid is out of your system by then, and hopefully it won't have any uh, detrimental effects uh, after that. And, um, you know, you tend to not do it for young people. You tend not to do it for people to do a lot of high impact activities. So I think you have to select that a bit. If someone, a 70 year old with a very bad plantar fascia came to me and she's quite sedentary, then I would have no issue doing a steroid injection for that because i think that makes sense yeah, yeah. so yeah i hope to again is the, is the ultrasound useful there so I, I remember reading a paper where they were looking at the thickness of the plantar fascia and yeah. when it had thickened beyond a certain degree the steroid was more successful generally yeah. um is again coming back to your ultrasound is that a useful yeah part in yeah that? well it's it's very useful because you know because like if you think about it if you put a bolus of steroid in the center of a, of a tendon then i think you kind of probably escalate the risks with the tendon damaging and we shouldn't exaggerate it because people have been doing blind injections for years and we haven't seen hundreds of people with with like like torn tendons and stuff but you know from animal experiments etc we do know that intratendinous injections are probably more detrimental so yeah, I mean, what, yeah, I would for that reason alone, for safety reasons alone, uh, guide it and uh, and make sure that uh, it's 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 not like in the body of the structure, and I think that will reduce your uh, levels of risk. So um, for sure, um, that is that is that is a good consideration. But again, uh, if you do it blind, I think you know, to be honest, if I was doing blind injections now. Because I did do them, you know, when I started blind and then like later on we like weren't ultrasound and did it ultrasound guided. I would probably not do plantar fasciitis. I wouldn't, I don't think. I would do shoulders maybe and knees because, you know, they're relatively safe. And even if you miss, it's not like, it's not a terrible thing. But uh, from a medical eagle perspective, I would not do that now. Uh, I've seen people, you know, having sort of significant adverse outcomes of, having misplaced injections and you know steroids sort of really having a major impact on the skin and 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 it looks weird particularly in women that can sometimes be what you know like cosmetic effects can be quite a big issue sometimes and um you know i would be quite careful with that now uh, and 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 you know if you if you do it guided then you have much less risk of those sort of uh, issues either so yeah yeah, I think there's a couple of things you brought up there that were actually questions that I wanted to ask. So I th yeah. I think, yeah. So first of all, you've kind of mentioned it there, but like side effects. So what what are the sort of major side effects that you, that you could be looking at with things like steroid injections? I just want to take a quick break in the podcast to thank our sponsors, Compex. 
Complex is a company that produce exceptional injury recovery tools. Our favorite with myself and Glenn is the electrical stimulation machine. And both Glenn and myself use Complex with rehab patients, particularly post-op patients, to speed up recovery, increase muscle strength, and help with pain as well post-op. Um, if you'd like to check out the units or any other rehab tools from Compex, simply go across to www.compex.com and use the promo code HSPHYSIO for 20% off any products that you buy from them. Now back to the show. Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, the major side effects are um, thinning of the skin, for example, is a is a significant side effect. Um, so, um, you know, like um, you get some some depigmentation of the skin that's a very significant side effect it's a common side effect because it's super if it's superficial to the skin then that is you know uh, a major issue um now yeah other things that um you you can see of course a, a potential side effect is a steroid flare so a patient has an injection and the you know the joint becomes uh, very painful for a kind of good bit of time sometimes that is a sort of significant uh, thing that can happen um yeah um other other things facial flushing is is a side effect that is quite common uh, i would say but uh, more, more so in higher dosages yeah so people with real high dosages uh, of steroids they kind of tend to get that um but yeah otherwise i think yeah it's 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 mostly i would say the most common side effects are most cosmetic um but then you know when we so are you are you talking steroids or injections like uh, here i was i was meaning steroid injections but yeah yeah, just yeah in terms of general if there's any other really common side effects that you might be because obviously you're mentioning obviously rupture that's obviously a, a potential yeah. uh potential side effect that people can have um but yeah, yeah just inject but obviously steroids particularly but then, then obviously in general for other injections if you have got some specific ones yeah no but th those are the, the key ones i would say but then there's 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 you know like obviously uh, there's a neurovascular risk as well mm -hmm. um so you inject um you know slightly um, wrong or uh, whatever your needle goes into a nerve or something like that that's, that's a procedural risk really um, yeah. but yeah for steroids i would say it's predominantly around collagen and weakness and um, also of course immune suppression so mm -hmm. if you have people that are already immune suppressed then that would they would probably not be good candidates it's also avoid we we try to avoid it around covid so within two weeks yeah pre and post covid jab we we kind of don't uh, do steroid injections so so there's a number of things like that but to be honest that is just being ultra careful because the small doses of steroid we use are very unlikely to have those sort of like effects on the immune system but we do do it and you know it's just due diligence to be be extra careful yeah yeah and then you mentioned about the um the steroid wearing off so this is something i get asked yeah. about patients by patients all the time about you know how yeah. long will it last um is it something which wears off and then i'll need to get another one like so what what's your thought yeah what is going on there with regards to because some people will say oh, i had a steroid injection and it just lasted for years or i you know i it never came back yeah. the pain never came back 
Um, so what's your thoughts on what's going on there? Is it a case of physiologically? So how, how long does it stay in your system for physiologically? Yeah, so not and very then... long. It, it, okay. it stays in your system for a couple of weeks or so, I think, uh, generally. I think some of them are a bit longer. Like there are some sort of uh, very like long-acting form formula. But generally, the ones that we use are uh, depomedrone and triamcinolone, uh, methylprasnisolone and triamcinolone. Those are the two key ones that most of uh, in the UK, uh, in the UK uh, use, and they're they're fairly potent. They're long-acting steroids. They're sort of not immediate-acting steroids like hydrocortisone, which meet like are sort of within a day or so uh, active, um, but uh, don't last very long. Very soluble because they're less soluble. They have more depot effects, and the depot effects mean that they kind of last for a bit longer. But, you know, if you look at the pharmacological uh, sort of length of time that it works, it's still not that long. And I, th I believe it's something in the region of two weeks or so. But that's not the effect that it has on the patient. Yeah. Because if someone has comes to you after steroid injection and says after two weeks, oh, uh, I've got pain again, then the, the injection hasn't worked in my book. Um, so even although... I would say if you do lab tests on people after two weeks, 99% or 90% of people haven't got steroid in them, they will still have the effects. So the effects can last for many months. And I would say on average, you would be looking for a successful, I would deem an injection successful if it lasts for at least two, but maybe three, three months at least, mm. I would say. That for me is, is effective. Yeah. And if it isn't, then yeah. So. And, yeah. and obviously, you know, people are often having steroid injections in that instance because they want to get rid of pain. So say they've got, you know, like greater trochanter pain syndrome, the gluteal tendon, or they've got, yeah. you know, like plantar fasciitis, et cetera. Um, and so are your, is your thinking, you know, clinically wise, are you doing the injection to reduce that inflammatory response to then do the physio and the rehab that then will, you know, hopefully make them pain-free long-term? Yeah. Or, you know, do you, exp like... I guess my question is more around the it coming back like what to what level is it coming back just a failure of other things going on or what what to what level is it just that the steroid injection hasn't worked if that makes sense yeah 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 um yeah i mean i, I it depends a little bit on the, on the condition i would say for example if you have a trigger finger then i think you know yeah you might need to do a bit of stretching and stuff but Generally speaking, if it works, it works, uh, whether they do exercises or not, I would say. Mm -hmm. But I think if you look at people with, uh, you know, epicondyalgia or uh, tendinopathy of EC, ECT, uh, um, and, 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 you know, those people, they, they need to, to definitely start with a loading program as soon as we can do it usually within a week or, or a week and a half to and then um i think they do a lot better and that is definitely true yeah you have these yeah, certain people who just use steroids so that they feel that that they don't have to comply with further physio because they don't believe in physio and i tend to think that those people don't do as well so i would always recommend it as me i always say it's a means to an end to people and i work with physios around me and, and you guys and stuff so i would always refer people 
for further physio input and not just sort of um yeah it's, it's never a standalone thing but yeah i mean like you said you get the odd person with like a very specific small like finger problem or something where you know you can sort of say well you know exercise probably not going to change the world but yeah, generally speaking anything like bigger joints with lots of muscles around them need rehab and, yeah. and it, it means to an end you know as you said yeah. and, and i totally it, agree with that it always Love interested it. me when with trigger finger that just seemed to like i worked as an fcp um, yeah. in bedfordshire and trigger finger was one of those conditions that just did so does so well seems to do so well with injection yeah. i just wonder what what is that like why why is it why is that condition doing so well versus other tendinopathic or other tendon you know soft tissue injuries that aren't doing that well like what what is it about trigger finger that makes it so um, successful yeah I, I know what you mean but uh, i've i've sort of thought about that um like but i haven't got all the answers to it but yeah. i think my my kind of gut feeling is that things in very tight spaces with very dense collagen uh, and there being some sort of low-grade inflammatory reaction which there is in a trigger finger i believe and a mechanical reaction as well that that sort of tiny change in i don't know the caliber of the tendon and maybe the the the, the inflammatory uh, uh, aspect of the of the tendons becoming slightly less irritated or thickened when they kind of rub together that because quite often with trigger finger in particular because you think well actually you look at it on the ultrasound and you can see that the tendon is snagging on the a1 pulley so you think how on earth is this injection going to change that and then you know like you get them in a month later and they say it doesn't trigger anymore and it's just like yeah i don't know i think that what it means is that all these tiny structures that are only a couple of millimeters thick are probably like maybe a third thicker because they have like this inflammatory and then all of a sudden that that just that small change might make the difference between it, it not doing that um, do you ever ultrasound yeah. people um after they've had trigger finger injections just to see whether there is uh, yeah they're no longer that snagging on the a1 pulley or well um it's, it's not so obvious in trigger finger to be honest but um no you can't see that so easy i think that, that, that's what i'm saying it's not that that obviously like visible with the like bare sort of images to sort of say oh yeah that's a muscle check i mean where you see that more is in inflammatory conditions like someone has tenosynovitis of a finger for example and you inject that and then you see an amazing difference they go from having this like sausage finger to having a normal finger and like no effusion and stuff but that's kind of that's more inflammatory mediated then you sort of understand it but yeah with these low inflammatory things they it does something and it does something very effective because like, as you said trigger fingers can be sometimes like many months maybe a year sometimes indefinitely be better from an injection so mm. yeah it's a, it's, it's a really conundrum well. i don't know i mean if uh, anyone see, knows an article <laughs> that uh, explains that would be great because... rob i was i was gonna just go back to the um steroid flare that you mentioned yeah um i always think of a client of mine that um she had a injection in the knee and it worked really really well um and then we did a, a fantastic kind of rehab and mm -hmm. she was um i'd say 80 90 percent better she was still getting occasional pain she went back for a review and um i always remember the conversation she was kind of she wasn't pressured in any way but 
um, the suggestion was, oh, you had such a good result from the first one. Why don't we do another one just to finish off the kind of process? And it was a private healthcare kind of situation. Mm. And um, she opted to have it. And um, then I always remember her because she had a steroid flare, like she had a massive flare up after the injection and they put her rehab back. Yeah. So she'd had an injection prior that had actually facilitated a really good um, rehab from that point on. But then the second injection, she had a really, really bad reaction to that put her back. Mm -hmm. So is there any way Mm -hmm. of screening for those like pre It's almost, you, you almost need to know what it was that made her flare, you know? because there could be a number of things that make people flare up generally speaking it's some sort of you know yeah some people you know like so for example the question is was this person injected on the ultrasound or not if they were injected on the ultrasound yeah and it was done by someone who knows what they're doing and it was definitely in the joint for example if it was joint injection then um you would say yeah, that's weird. That probably is then the drug or something, something that the drug triggers. And it can yeah, it be. Wasn't, you know, it wasn't people... with ultrasound. I remember that. It wasn't It wasn't guided. Yeah. So. If it's not with ultrasound, what happens sometimes? Someone depots a whole load of steroid in a muscle or very close to a joint, but not in the joint. And that can cause a, a inflammatory, like quite a reaction because it just irritates. I mean, it will kick in eventually because it takes uh, three or four days for steroid to kick in usually. And and in and after that, so it massively flares things up, and then it's like calms right down once once the steroid kicks in. So I think I don't see many steroid flares, but I do them all on, on the ultrasound. And I think when I didn't, I saw them more. So I think it might have something to do with accuracy. But there's definitely some people. Uh, I've had a couple of cases over the years where people. Well, they didn't end up in a hospital, but they were very worried. They had some really swollen arm or whatever. Some really like an aller- almost like an allergic reaction. So that is possible. There are very there's a handful of people in literature that sort of reported some sort of like bad reaction. Usually, that's not to the steroid. The steroid is very very rare because, as you know, steroids are used to do the opposite that people have an, <laughs> an like some sort of like allergic reaction they get steroids so it's quite unusual for steroids to be but it is it's, it's much more common for uh, local anesthetic so if that was a combined injection with a local then that could have been the local as well because that is not uncommon that people get a quite a severe reaction to a local like you know they're kind of faint or they kind of get a real like high you know like a proper like almost like an anaphylactic reaction that is again i haven't seen it that much but it does happen occasionally yeah and while while we're on those sort of you know that kind of topic like that the other question i had was about contraindication so about like you know what what would be the absolute contraindications to maybe just injection therapy so not just steroids but just injection therapy in general and are there different contraindications for the different injections or not yeah 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 so so there's quite a few contraindications um so basically the main uh things is um such as infections yeah so that's that's a that's a real big one um now I'm just going to have uh, get because there's quite a big list of contraindications actually. So I'm going to get them here. So uh, obviously infections are the kind of 
the key one yeah uh, and any local infection um in, like you know sepsis or like anything that's a total in so if anyone has had an infection even if it's urine tract infection you know it's slightly different maybe but you know if they have said they've been on antibiotics or, or they haven't been feeling well or whatever then that would be in, in a contraindication as well um so a significant systemic illness with infection associated is a definite definite no-no obviously local is absolutely no-no um and obviously any kind of hypersensitivity that we know of in the patient for for either steroid or local um uh prosthetic joints are generally seen as a no-go area for steroid injections yeah um also i think uh we get tend not to inject uh people under 18 that's some sort of rule that most people stick to um then also people who are, are um, um anticoagulated yeah so it's not a problem to uh, inject people generally that are anticoagulated on oral anticoagulants like doax direct oral anticoagulants but if people are on um you know warfarin for example uh, which is more you know needs to be more controlled and more tightly monitored then we do want to check and make sure that their INR ratio is not higher than a certain level it's usually two and a half that we say is acceptable and anything over that we can't inject them yeah so we kind of always have people coming uh for to have that checked like a day or two before the steroid injection so that we know that they're kind of in the like you know in the limits if they're too high they can't because it could cause some sort of significant bleeding um glaucoma is another one that is a sort of in contraindication although i guess i have seen people uh with glaucoma who they're um they were under Moorfields Eye Hospital and that consultant said it's fine, but we need to check your eye pressure within two weeks or something like that. And uh, if that then is okay, then that's fine. But yeah, the, the, what they worry is that there's a long-term turning up of the pressure in the eye. So it is a, contra, a, a potential contraindication and yeah, that that's obviously needs to be managed in secondary care. Um, now, other things um sort of maybe less obvious things but also important lymphedema is a contraindication because people again might be more prone to infections in the lymphedema if you start injecting through areas of lymphedema um so visual disturbances um so people who've had an injection before and got like really funny vision and stuff um that is a sort of no let's not do that uh active cancer treatment and chemotherapy in particular yeah sometimes it's okay but it needs to be discussed with the oncologist um you, yeah you can't you know some some uh, me medications sort of interact and 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 you shouldn't really do it uh, so it needs to be discussed um so um you know people with severe allergies you know um people that just have a high risk of complications because they have like allergies and they're not 100 sure what it is and stuff like that that would be another one that you think well maybe not um 
And of course, like as we said before, vaccinations, we tend to avoid a period of two weeks before and after vaccination. Um, and also uh, systemic or local infection, uh, which, which what you said before. Um, and then, yeah. So I, the other thing is I would say yeah, that those are the key, key ones really. So, mm -hmm. um, um, was there anything else like, um, yeah, yeah, no, those are the key ones. Yeah. Is, is there a, a number of previous injections that you have in your mind? So people always turn uh, like band around in yeah, yeah. Free injections and stuff like that. Is, is yeah. there a, is yeah, there that's a, more a like a caution. Of... Yeah. That's more like, a, yeah, I know what you mean. So, um, because you, you were saying something around, uh, should we not inject people if there is no contraindication, absolute mm. contraindication, yeah. which I think, yeah, it's a good question sometimes. So basically, I would say, um, so how many injections can you have, basically? So, mm, you know, that's a sort of you. like, that's a sort of thing that's like, no one ever sort of works that out. Some people say the number three always seems to come up for mm. some reason, three. Yeah. And then some people say, yeah, three in a year. Well, that could be a ridiculous number if you have to have like, like OA needs for the last 20 years. <laughs> but um, I would say that, um, yeah, generally speaking, I'm sort of for about, yeah, keep it at three. I mean, I kind of always, my argument always is, is that, okay, if you kind of keep having to come back for more after three injections, then it's not obviously managing it that well. <laughs> and maybe we, you know, if they said we have I've been pain free for two years, then maybe I'm sort of saying, okay, well, maybe let's try another one, you know, but even then, if they have then corked up four or five injections, then I'll still think, well, maybe they should shift it. If it's so well controlled for so long, maybe we can put something else in there that isn't, hasn't got steroid in it. So then that lasts a joint longer uh, and do a hyaluronic acid, for example. But, um, I would, um, yeah, um, and yeah, people who've 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 had multiple injections before, um, and um, you know have no kind of, you know, have uh, or people who have um, inflammatory conditions, for example, um, with or like with multiple joints involved. I think that would be someone that I would say. Yeah, it's great, but maybe they're better off having some systemic treatment and stuff. And and if 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 the if we identify there's one or two joints that are still problematic, then maybe then go for it. But and then on the you know usually with the backing of a rheumatologist because you don't want mm. to do, make these calls on your own. Um, and I would say you know people with general pain, like I get loads of people who have you know, like uh, chronic spinal neck pain uh, with like fairly severe pain in the deltoid region and pain when they move their shoulder. It's very difficult sometimes to identify is it shoulder more, is it neck, but there's obviously a kind of overlapping uh, the features. Generally speaking, when they then also start talking, there's loads of other stuff going on and there might be some, you know, other, other anxiety, depression, uh, like more general uh not uh, her, their well-being might not be great generally and oftentimes you find that people like that have a collection of of, of things that's not just msk and i think 
then you yeah you, you're kind of yeah you can inject those people and they have a lot of pain and they'll thank you for it but then after a couple of weeks or say it's back to square one or it helps a little bit it helps 10 percent, and it lasts for like like uh, a week and it's just like that nah, these these people are not really benefiting uh, at all um, and we just need to be clear so i think what 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 we're saying we we kind of inject people and we expect it to be like really good and 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 if it's not then they're not really suitable um yeah mm. and you, you mentioned, mentioned um oh i think we might yeah. have said the same thing there Lynn. you mentioned <laughs> hyaluronic acid yeah um a bit from my understanding there's there's less risks associated with hyaluronic yeah. acid over steroids yeah yeah, you're um, right. So, so yeah, you're absolutely right. So the risks are more around, um, well, you know, the, the, yeah. So, so there are some risks. Interesting. So the risks are still infection is still a risk. Obviously, any procedure that requires you to go through a, a skin with a needle has infection risk. But I think injections with hyaluronic, yeah, um, are generally they haven't got any pharmacological concerns so so yeah they're, they're seen as sort of benign to a joint and it can be repeated like you know x number of times and i have have people who i see once every year or so and they have a steroid injection uh, sorry a hyaluronic injection in their knee and they they do well you know they still have some pain but they're managing it and they they swear by it they honestly believe that it makes a big difference and now i have to say yeah and I don't know if it's good to say that, but I, th I do think that, um, you know, the effects of hyaluronic are much more subtle and more smooth. So it's not like you're turning around a, a switch and people go from in agony and the next day they wake up like with a steroid and they say, oh, I've got no pain and stuff, you know, which, which is typical with steroid. But hyaluronic, that doesn't happen. But you do hear people saying, yeah. I definitely noticed that, like, you know, I just my joints are a little bit less clicky. They're just a bit smoother. I just feel less achy, that kind of thing. So it works really well for all the mechanical reasons, yeah? So, um, so, so yeah, people who are in a lot of pain at rest, for example, are not good candidates for hyaluronic acid. But if people are mechanically a bit limited and you boost it a bit with hyaluronic, I think it can work really well. So um, yeah, I'm 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 definitely uh, in favour of it, and and I use it quite a bit. Um, but I I also think you have to be you know like I do think sometimes it's used it's overused a little bit. Um, a lot of um, particularly in secondary care, a lot of orthopedic consultants thinking that hyaluronic is quite cheap compared to any of the procedures that they do. They kind of quite often say do a steroid plus hyaluronic so it's a combined thing and then i kind of think i see the people coming in and you see them in agony even sitting there you think well what's a hyaluronic so i don't know it's probably not going to harm them but whether it will help i don't think so and how would you ever find out so that's another thing so my thing is to do one at a time really um but you know if you've got a proven person like someone has done well um, or you know it has done well in the past from a hyaluronic um, and they've got a bit of a flare-up and then you can put some steroid in. I can see that. But if, if someone has never really done well and they've got very bad like degenerative changes to then just willy-nilly, regardless, put them on a hyaluronic, I think it's a, 
it's a bit of a waste but uh, yeah and you mentioned um a few times in in the podcast about um ultrasound guided versus blind yeah. injection so what's your thoughts on that in general i know obviously there's been studies before that kind of compare the two yeah. and there's doesn't seem to be much difference but it sounds like you're a yeah. big fan of the ultrasound guidance so what's your yeah. you know understanding of that and like the, is there any good evidence to support the, the yeah. use of ultrasound guided yeah there is there is good evidence so well there is and there isn't. So there is good evidence for the accuracy of ultrasound. Ac accuracy of ultrasound is absolutely hands down, no matter what study you look at, pretty much, every study pretty much says that it's way better by a factor about four or five sometimes better or tw at least twice as good as, as landmark guided. Uh, even for superficial structures that you think you might sort of hit very well, it's a huge difference. So there's no there's no debate. Like steroid is much or uh, um, um, like guided is much better um, for that. But then what you were referring to is like yeah, what is then the the the, the that's not efficacy necessarily, and, and that is true. And, and there has been some debate, and there's still like a lot of difference of opinion on it. I think if you read the overall literature, because it's too much to mention really, but if you look, if you get a picture of the overall literature, I would say that there's a good few studies that are of reasonably good quality that do show a, a tendency that's, that uh, the efficacy is, is, is a bit better for ultrasound guided. There's some studies that don't seem to support it. And there's a cost factor, there's a training sort of process of people doing ultrasound guided. And you can kind of understand that for like nice or like bigger organizations that sort of have to kind of guide people that, you know, that's they tend to sometimes sit a bit more in a fence in regards to uh, that uh, or say, well, actually, there's no hard evidence that it's much better. Uh, and it's probably not, you know, similar. So therefore, we can't recommend it. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 I can see that. Uh, and I actually can even see it for some sort of big joint injections that you think, well, someone with, with a very skilled uh, landmark uh, injector might actually do a good job with that as well. But you know, um, I think. Um, you know, and, and so we're, to, we're talking about efficacy here, yeah? And efficacy is not the whole thing here either, yeah? So that we, we kind of, we have to also think about um, safety here as well. Because neurovascular, like, injections do happen. People do get sued for it. And it does, um, you know, it is is a scary thing, you know? You don't want to inject a median nerve. You don't want to do anything like that could potentially be wrong and you know over the years the number of people that i have seen who've come in having been elsewhere had landmark guided and described something that to me sounds like a like basically a, a sort of iatrogenic like nerve injury or or something along those lines is quite substantial i would say so i think it's reasonable to from from just a safety point of view to do it ultrasound guided typically for the ones for the injections where we know there's nerves in the close vicinity maybe not so much for some shoulder or knee injections but i definitely think there we should be very aware and also i think a lot of the time you get some sort of buy-in from your patient so you do you, you're kind of looking at it 
they looking at it they see it go in i think a lot of people feel quite sort of reassured that like they're being like given the medication in the correct area even although they probably don't know what they're looking at but you know it's that the whole process of yeah. you know being involved in your own care and stuff i think that's mm. quite nice for patients so so i i kind of think there's 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 several aspects to this it's not just as simple as um yeah as 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 um efficacy in 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 terms of pharmacological efficacy and stuff that yeah it's there's there's, there's yeah there's definitely um number of, of of points to this yeah i think it's quite it's quite logical as well isn't it if someone said to me like oh i've got got this ultrasound machine yeah. here we could put it on and yeah and be really accurate with where we're going to put it or you know it might work just as well if i just use the landmark and go in with a needle what would you prefer exactly any of us would rather the, the reassurance exactly they're, exactly they're in the right place yeah. you know? absolutely and, and and i think but i think it's a scarcity thing isn't it so not everyone uses ultrasound it's quite a like i said there's a limited number of people that can do it there's a limited number of people of, of good competency so there's a huge number of people that need these injections so i kind of understand the conundrum and that not everyone can always receive a ultrasound gyser injection but yeah given the choice i would yeah i would always have to have a uh, ultrasound guided now the other thing is and this is about the other procedures that we talked about you couldn't do barbitize without guidance you couldn't do a hyaluronic acid injection uh, without guidance you couldn't do a hydrodescension without guidance so there's a good number of procedures that i do every day that i couldn't do without guidance um uh, or you you know i do see people to do do it uh, without guidance like for example hyaluronic but i think then you kind of then then that becomes more uh risky because you know i have seen people with like a load of hyaluronic acid in the fat pads and stuff having major reactions to it sometimes a sort of allergic reaction and you know needing sort of arthroscopic release from it because it was injecting the wrong place that happens i mean it doesn't happen very much because i don't i hardly believe many people would actually still do that but yeah for, for sure you shouldn't be doing it in my mind yeah yeah that's good and then in, in terms of the ultrasound i think um you do you teach for is it brunel that you teach at in terms of the ultrasound side of things rob yes yeah so um myself and um a couple of my colleagues uh, from the ultrasound side uh, dave baker and Stuart wildman we um deliver the ultrasound programs at brunel university so we're running a postgraduate certificate in musculoskeletal ultrasound so that is there's a comprehensive program um and um you know uh, accredited postgraduate certificate um and you know it's uh, it basically um delivers not just the practical skills but also the governance and and evidence-based um etc so that people come out as sort of fairly well-rounded sort of practitioners although they're still at the beginning of their, their, their obviously journey but i think you know we're not the only course of course there's, there's others out there but um you know well we, we're running our program and yes yeah, it's, it's been uh it's been quite popular and you know like like you said we get a whole range of people from uh interesting if in our current cohort there are uh, a number of physios there are actually quite a number of doctors in uh, there um you know a e doctors like rheumatologists uh sports medicine uh, orthopedic specialists 
Um, so there's a whole range of, of people. And obviously we have, yeah, we have, and, and mostly our, the other uh, profession is mostly physio, I would say. But it is a range of, uh, of uh, sonographers as well, of course. Um, and, and, and um, yeah, so, so, you know, we're passionate about that because, you know, that's kind of my sort of geeky kind of interest and has been for, for years. But, but now that we, you know, are seeing the sort of people coming through the ranks that sort of then are kind of competent to, um, you know, do uh, ultrasound and maybe train in ultrasound guided injections. Uh, and that's another course that we then also deliver ultrasound guided injections. Then it's just really nice to um, to see people, you know, like you said, Glenn. There's so much good quality uh, stuff out there these days, and you know, we are hopefully also contributing to that. So these people come onto the scene and they have a little bit of a head start because they've seen all the videos and they've kind of like had all these really nice learning materials that showed them really well how to kind of hold a probe and stuff like that stuff that wasn't always available and the learning curve is a lot better and stuff and i could see that a day that you know it becomes like a you know and we're kind of lucky in a way in the uk that i think us as our health providers who have who are from a completely different background with physio we rehab people uh, and we we actually have access to this and we can actually obtain competency in this country so to to have that ability uh, i think it's it's fantastic and i think like in in future i'm sure that uh, quite a few people will continue to to um, sort of be excited about it and go into it because it's just it's an additional bit and you know it's not like it doesn't replace like the good quality physio at all but it's just a nice extra thing an extra tool that you have in your toolbox and that's how i see it you know we were talking um off air actually weren't we about how different countries have different kind of rules yeah. and legislations around ultrasound and uh, i always remember when i used to teach um, a couple of times a year in holland and, oh, did you? Um, yeah, yeah were, I, I couldn't help but notice this is going back five six years yeah. but yeah. There was a much higher percentage of private physios, certainly mm. around Amsterdam, yeah, yeah, yeah. that had ultrasound scanning machines and oh, really? were, were wow. using yeah. them on a reg regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that struck me is as part of, uh, we were doing a hip course and yeah. um, one of the instructors demonstrated the ultrasound to show glute med tendon or, you know, like to use it in real time right. just to see how they, how they um, use it in clinic. And um, it just seemed like such a, a skill to me that um mm -hmm. one thing i would as a private clinician you know say i was to invest in a machine and i was to go to brunel mm -hmm. and um, become accredited in through mm -hmm. your course my gut feeling is i would i would have to have a mentor or something like that yeah to to go through these kind of these kind of cases with yeah. to 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 actually get the you know it looked like a a, a manual oh, yeah. skill or a physical skill yeah. mechanical skill you know that you just you need to put the time in to get you know so um absolutely, yeah, yeah, like absolutely private, right. yeah private clinicians that maybe don't have the same access to mentorship like that is um yeah well this this is exactly what we are finding in our pg cert because everyone obviously needs to have a mentor yeah uh, like you said you need to clock up uh 250 scans hundred of, of which have to be supervised scans directly supervised by your mentor uh, that has to be all be written up in a sort of M level 
style kind of uh, quality uh, of like reflection. Um, so it's a lot of work. Um, so yeah, what would I say? Um, I wouldn't say don't do it, but I would also say if you're fully private based, it's a it's an uphill struggle mm. because um, you know it's an uphill struggle to become. Or I, or I'm actually I'm talking a bit more about injections here, to be honest. I think now diagnostic ultrasound you're fine to do that as long as you get the mentorship and yeah mentorship is not easy to get but if you can do that and this is always the million dollar question if you can get someone who is already qualified and who is somehow willing to kind of um, come to your clinic and supervise you with your patients and uh, then yeah that's great but yeah, obviously there's there's money involved and there's a, like a big time investment as well involved, uh, and that person needs to be competent and stuff. So they have to be already sonography level, uh, and 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 fairly senior to do this. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I I see it because I mentor some of the people that have failed to kind of like almost link up with someone. And, 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 you know, like I travel sometimes to their places to do it, but obviously my time has to be paid for. And that's, it's quite, you know, it's not cheap to, you know, for, for, for if you, you know, if you kind of, it's a, it's a quite a, it's a skill that, that requires a lot of input. It, it, it obviously takes someone else out of their clinic into your clinic, that kind of thing. So it, it's actually practically quite difficult. So if you, are lucky enough to work in a you know and and that's that's why if you work in a sort of more integrated center or something with a number of people with so, some of which might have already these skills and that's great if you can tap into it otherwise it's 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 going to take time and it's going to take a lot of uh, uh, effort uh, on your side and yeah don't get me started on on ultrasound guide injections in private practice because that's even worse it's actually a lot worse because then yeah because you know that whilst we're on on an injection therapy you need to be an independent prescriber so obviously that's quite a big deal because that's not easy you have to kind of do your whole prescription and stuff and then just for your injections that is quite a thing um now you need to be mentored by someone uh, that person is usually a medic it might be a, an independent prescriber, physio, but that physio is obviously already prescribing. And then if you then were to say, oh, can you do like uh, prescribe for me, you know, to another person who's training, most people would be quite reluctant to do that because it's quite a big responsibility. Um, but if you work with someone who really trusts you, uh, like a doctor, uh, then they have to kind of write a, a patient specific, um, um, uh, what's the word? PS, uh, PSD, patient uh, specific directive, which is not a PGD, but basically that means that for every individual case, they have to write out what the case is. The doctor then has to sign and, and what the, uh, the actual medication is, uh, what dosage, and basically that is then what they can. So so that's how how this then works. That the physio is then able to do it. 
which in practice is just so faffy, particularly if you have one patient in a whole clinic, no one's going to do that. So, so effectively, unless you sort of somehow team up with someone who's already injecting, who's in the room next to you, it's very, very hard privately. In a hospital, it's much easier. But yeah. So, so those are the barriers for private, which mm. you know is yeah, you could say is 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 a is a barrier. But you know, we're lucky in a way that we even can do all these things in this country. Uh, whereas, like we talked about other countries where that's uh, not possible at all. So. Yeah. And I think I think if you're um, a clinician who's looking into doing these things, then, you know, advanced practice roles in the NHS, you obviously you can do split roles like you, like yourself, Rob, where you're doing NHS and you're doing private work. And that way you can get the skills you need to do it, these things in the NHS and in the hospital setting, but then potentially do some private stuff alongside yeah, that or like and you know the private work could just could not even be injection therapy but you're just no. doing that within your yeah. nhs work absolutely and i think that's how a lot of people now see it i think post pandemic a lot of people have come out of it and have like maybe for a while had to work remotely and then they started doing some work from home and then they kind of find that the commute into their whatever hospital where they're going is a bit much and stuff. And and a lot of people also the pressures increasing the NHS and stuff. I think a lot of people are finding that the way that they can deliver high quality of care is by doing it a little bit less. And you, and you will find, for example, that a lot of GPs in the way that they manage it, how many GPs do you know that do five days a week? A lot of them don't. And the reason for it is not they're not earning more money but they're actually finding that like from a work-life balance it's much more manageable and i think you know in some ways it would benefit a lot of people to have a slight split uh and and yeah i think that's that's not a bad bad thing um to to because you see you see different you know practice is different and it's kind of good sometimes to see both uh nss care and, and private care but uh, yeah nss is great for you know, cocking up lots and lots of pathologies and seeing lots of stuff that you might not come across in a short time frame in a private clinic. So it's it's very important. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely found I was a I do private work now. Um yeah. but I've done FCP work as well in the NHS and yeah. certainly I think complexity of patient and um the different cases you get are much more varied or was much more varied in my FCP work. Um but I've got to be honest, I probably enjoy my private caseload a lot more than I used to enjoy my FCP caseload. So I think there's um, there's different things around, you know, challenging complex patients and how many of those you can mentally mentally deal with in a day. And I, yeah, I, I, think, I probably yeah. I probably can't deal with as many as yeah. I used to. No, so. I think, but I think like, uh, you know, this is a much bigger topic, but I think because of the stresses on life and people's like, you know, the economy downturn and people generally sort of having a bit of a tougher time. There's a lot of people who have a lot more mental health issues. There's a lot more stress and stuff that happens in private as well. But I think, you know, particularly people that uh, have been waiting for months, they're absolutely sometimes by the time they get to you, they're at their wait's end. And then you see them at their worst time. And that, like you said, how many of those can you take a day? Yeah, there's a limitation to, to most people i mean you know i kind of love my my work but i do think it is it's definitely not uh easy and i wouldn't say that my private work is easy but it's easy from a in a psychological from a psychological point of view it, it's it's more 
predictable to some degree and therefore and and a lot of the time the people that you see have taken that same that step themselves to come to you so they're obviously already a bit on board with the things that they think you're going to provide and stuff so that 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 makes makes the whole journey it smoothens it all a bit and and yeah absolutely i i agree that it's uh, it's uh, it's great to to be able to do that yeah perfect all right amazing well look, i think we've we've taken up quite a lot of your time rob so i wanted to say a massive thank you um for coming on the podcast it's been really really interesting um and if people want to um check out like the brunel course or do you have um, yeah. a website or yeah. things that you could yeah, direct yeah, yeah. people to for yeah i do so uh my um my personal website so for anyone who is looking for um a combination of uh, clinical examination and evaluation you know and uh diagnostic ultrasound as well as ultrasound guy injection all in one clinic uh, my my clinic name is called the sonoscope um so www.sonoscope.co.uk s-o-n-o-s-c-o-p-e.co.uk and um yeah i'll practice in hertfordshire so um if anyone is interested in that that's uh, yeah let me know um yeah so the brunel course if you just google ultrasound guided injections or diagnostic uh like ultrasound uh then you'll get the brunel um course which um yeah which 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 is the postgraduate certificate in musculoskeletal ultrasound um and yeah so for any practitioners any physios out there wanting to getting excited about listening to this to doing that then uh, yeah it's a great I, i'm a bit biased <laughs> but i think it's a great course <laughs> so uh, okay. if you yeah if you're willing to uh, go to brunel then uh, do it <laughs> perfect yeah and we'll, we'll put all the links in the show notes so for yeah no, that's great we'll, yeah we'll put all the links on the on the website and on the um, yeah, show notes on, on the on there so yeah but thank you very much for, you, for your time rob yeah thank you rob been great lovely thanks eh? if you're enjoying the podcast then please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star review it massively helps out the podcast and means we get on bigger and better guests for you guys to listen to once again guys i want to thank you all for listening Check out the Physio Plus Fitness YouTube channel along with the website and we will see you all soon.